Welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing churches holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God, as held by the historic Christian Church, have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Today's podcast is a breakout session given by Dr. Larry Saunders at the ACCC's 2023 Annual Convention at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. Larry is the pastor of Toronto Free Presbyterian Church in Toronto, Ontario, and his session was on the subject, The Bible's Teaching on Conversion Therapy. Thank you for the opportunity of coming and sharing today. I feel very welcome um, back to Kittery, Maine again. I was here, I believe, five years ago or so, the last time the convention was here. And I think I, I might be the only Canadian that's in this operation here. Anybody else? I don't think so. Uh, but I feel very welcome and an opportunity of sharing with you. I always enjoy the privilege of sharing times together. We have had the American Council in our church in Toronto different occasions over the years, probably three times that going back in my history that I can remember. And uh, it has always been a good blessing. Of course, when COVID shut everything down and difficult to travel across the borders at all, and uh, it's not so easy for uh, U.S. folks to get over the border into Canada. It's, uh, it's another expense and quite a distance, uh, but we will have to have the occasion of having you again sometime as the Lord opens that door. I had the great opportunity of sharing today a very important subject, but in one sense, I and reflecting back on a time when I used to work as a printer in our family business. And as I was a young fellow, left school, and while I was working in the back in the press department and in the shipping and receiving area and in the storeroom, and we suffered a fire, it was a family business, and it destroyed to a large degree much of the paper that was in the shipping room. And what happened was that when the fire came, the, the fire burned all the perimeter of the skids of paper, but it could not get on the inside. So for the next uh, month, two months, because uh, my job was to go into the uh, shipping storage room and begin to take the paper, the skids of paper, bring them to the cutter and cut the perimeter off the paper to try to salvage what we could. Well, of course, the carbon... And uh, that was before you ever wore a mask for anything, let alone COVID. You didn't think about wearing a mask. And uh, every day I came out covered with black soot, hands, hair, everything covered. Uh, I feel a bit that way when you have to deal with a subject like this. It's not pleasant to deal with. And yet uh, we have to be informed. And so I'd ask you to turn with me in your Bibles. I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture. Book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. First Corinthians, chapter 6. By the way, as you are turning up there, I know many of you will know Dr. Frank McClelland. And uh, he suffered from a mini-stroke just a week ago. 
And this will be about the third one that they determine he has had. He's in the hospital as we speak now. He suffered some slurring of speech, some numbness on his right side of his face and some mobility issues. However, he's doing better now, improving, but he's not ministering the word anymore. If you don't know who he is, he is the founding pastor of our church in Toronto. That's where I am from, the Toronto Free Presbyterian Church. And so he is uh, still attending and his wife is in good health. And I know he would want me to bring you his warm greetings uh, to the American Council as he has had many opportunities of being a part of the ministry here in the past. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now let's bow please for a word of prayer. Father, we rejoice today for the blessing of fellowship with those of like precious faith and for the ministry that we have already received and for the word that has been faithfully spoken. And dear Father, we ask that in all of the steps through our study, the interaction with our brothers and sisters in the gospel, though we come from different backgrounds and different denominations, yet we are united around the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are thankful for the unity that we have and we cherish it, Lord, and we pray that it will continue and that we will have what we look at as a healthy ecumenism, that which draws us together around the centrality of our Lord, around the inspiration of thy holy and precious word. And so give help today, Lord, I pray. And as we navigate through some difficult subject matter, that, Lord, we will have and be better equipped to understand the times, the seasons that we are in, and to realize that we are, like Esther, we have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this, and that we must bear our witness, because if not, Lord, you are in no way limited that a witness will be raised from some other place. And so, therefore, help us to be faithful and to take our stand for truth, Help us to know what it means to speak the truth in love and to share what you have done in our own hearts. And so, Lord, hear our prayer today. Continue to bless us now and give help in our study. We pray in the Savior's precious name. Amen. 
As you are involved in ministry, you will know that our nations are reeling under the brokenness of our society and of the sin that has gripped us. I speak to you as a Canadian, one who ministers in Toronto, and yet where I have come from and where I minister to, very multicultural, it does not matter what part of the globe we are in. The issues that are facing us are prevalent. The pride flag is flying in every city, in every nation of this world. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the large cities of Toronto or I go two hours north to Fenland Falls, which is where our family cottage is, there are pride flags flying outside restaurants. There are, there's the promotion of that agenda. And so we find ourselves sometimes very trammeled, very limited as to how we can witness, and we feel the loss of ground, so to speak, in, in trying to evangelize and share the gospel of our Lord and Savior. But God has called us to witness in these days, in this time, and we must not lose heart, and we must press on and realize that we are involved in a, in a great work. Our nations our nations have two very opposing world views. The worldview that we come from is based on an absolute authority. The worldview that our nations are under, to a large degree, have become post-Christian. We're in an anti-Christian environment to a large degree. And as we deal with the issues of biblical separation, we're more and more convinced that so-called evangelicals are bending toward conformity to the world and the way they address biblical and moral issues. And in that sense, we have to be very much aware. The thing that we can rejoice in, and let's never forget this, that our God is in control. The Lord of heaven is not wringing his hands wondering, what am I going to do next with the wickedness in this world? And so in our dealing and trying to be a witness in our day, let's never forget that. Because if God is not sovereign, then he is not God. He is the sovereign Lord who knows the end from the beginning and what he is allowing to take place will ultimately work out for his glory. And we, we cannot forget that. What we have to do is then endeavor to be strong in our faith and where we find that grounded is no other place but the word. Uh, we don't have confidence in ourselves. We better not and certainly not in our denominations we must have confidence only grounded in God's eternal, unchanging word. Because if we don't, don't believe in the inspiration of God's word, if we don't believe that the faith that he has granted to us and that we are called to depend on him, then we're going to be wandering aimlessly, we're going to be on a cycle, we're going to be chasing our tail. Now, therefore, we must be strong in the Lord and endeavor to follow him. Conversion therapy was outlawed in Canada 
on January the 7th, 2022. There was no debate in our Parliament, our House of Commons. What transpired was perhaps the first time in the history of the politics in our nation that of the three major parties, there was no time for debate on this piece of legislation that came through the House. And we have the main House of Parliament, and then we have a Senate, which all legislation moves from one House to the other House, to the Senate, and then if it passes there, it is allowed to be going into law. So the motion was put forward by a Conservative member of Parliament, which would equal your Republican government, the Liberals that we have would represent the Democrats and the NDP, they're more on the social wing extreme on that side. It was made by a Conservative Member of Parliament and he asked for unanimous consent, which means that if one Member of Parliament had objected to this piece of legislation, it would have failed and not one voice spoke up of all of our government against the outlaw and the banning of what was called conversion therapy. This now makes it illegal to counsel anyone about changing their orientation. That leaves us as ministers of the gospel and wanting to be faithful Bible believers, it leaves us with the fact of having to deal with a messy subject in the moral issues of our day. We often cite Jude, how he said he would rather speak about the pleasant things of our faith, the joyful things of our common salvation. And when he said common salvation, it didn't mean that it was ordinary. It means that it was that which we joyfully accept as being part of who we are. We'd love to speak about the wonders of these things, but Jude realized I must speak to you about something that's important and about contending for the faith. And so as we think about that today, we are called as God's servants to faithfully contend for the word of God, whether the people will hear or they will reject. And remember, it's not our opinions that we're giving. When we come and stand for the truth of the gospel, we are standing as God's authoritative servants. And we are standing to make appeal to the people, whether they will hear or not. That's not our, it's not our purpose to determine. It's to declare the word. The Bible, you will know, does not try to define God, nor does it try to prove his existence. It simply declares that he is. And that's what you and I are called to do as well. But also, brethren, we must remember that we can't be silent and we are to speak the word in love. Uh, I'm confronted with this and I, I know in my own heart that sometimes you feel someone needs a good kick instead of the gentle pull of love and yet uh, we, we must be those who are mirroring our Lord Jesus. 
There are times when Christ spoke very firmly to those who were the anti-religionists, the hypocrites. He dealt with them. But at the same time, the gentleness of our Lord and how he spoke to the people with authority from his Father's word and his word. Well, that's what we are called to do ourselves. So what is conversion therapy? The definition that we have here is that the generally accepted expression of CT is any attempt to change a person's homosexual or orientation to that of heterosexual or a transgender orientation to that of their biological or birth gender. So simply put, that if someone is born a female and they self-determine as a male, it is now illegal in our country to take any steps to influence or change that person's thinking or behavior, get this, even if they desire it. So if someone comes to their doctor and says, I'm struggling with some feelings I don't, I don't want, I don't like, it's illegal for the doctor or the psychiatrist to now give them any advice or direction to help correct these feelings that they have. That's how extensive this legislation is. It's very serious. In 2015, in 2015, the American Psychological Association and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration collaborated on a report stating this. Conversion therapy, which are efforts to change an individual's sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression, is a practice that is not supported by credible evidence and has been disavowed by behavioral health experts and associations. Here's the quote, continuing on. Conversion therapy perpetuates outdated views of gender roles and identifies as well uh, the negative stereotype that being a sexual or gender minority or identifying as LGBTQ is an abnormal aspect of human development. Most importantly, it may be put, put young people at risk of serious harm. So, the agencies that are involved in the medical side of psychology and psychiatrics, both in your nation and in mine, they declare that this idea of advising someone, counseling someone, away from the idea of their transgenderism or the feelings they might have toward uh, attraction toward the same sex, it is not by the medical authorities something that should be addressed. It is something that is from an outdated, or we use the term dinosaur, it's somebody who's draconian. Of course, what they're referring to would be the Word of God, the Bible, and any idea. The Canadian legislation 
And by the way, when I say this here, because it's been outlawed in Canada, whether or not federally you will have such a law as this, or whether it's going to come in the more liberal democratic states that promote this type of stuff, and whether or not, I don't know if it's become law about banning conversion therapy in any of your jurisdictions, but it may not be far away if it isn't. And certainly the promotion against doing this is becoming stronger and stronger as the LGBTQ movement increases its voice. So the Canadian legislation, there is no mention of the counseling, persuading, or manipulating, coercing, or indoctrination of young children and teens toward the homosexual, lesbian, or transgender lifestyle that is foisted on them through sex education curriculum and the promotion of gay clubs in schools, to say nothing about the growing indoctrination of Hollywood. While you don't have to turn on too many sitcoms or view any of these things to realize that these things are being promoted and the seeds are being dropped. Look what Disney's doing. Look what every child cartoon depiction is doing. These things are being changed to slowly move a child's thinking from what their parents or what they may have been told at home to think it's justifiable, it's okay. That's exactly what's happening in our time. It becomes more sinister, as I'm sure you know, about the medically irresponsible prescribing of hormone-blocking drugs and also of the sex change surgeries that children and teens are encouraged to receive. The failure to even mention the emotional and physical distortion and damage caused by these abuses is an intentional omission from our legislation. But that's the same thing that you, you folks are finding in all the areas of education and psychology because it's a bent in one direction. And there's no sense, there's no idea or desire in trying to show the potential dangers that there are going to be of a child, a young teen, taking on this lifestyle or having these drugs or having the sex changes. It really amounts to nothing more than child abuse. In a documentary I have watched called What is a Woman? by a man called Matt Walsh, who is a practicing Catholic. He interviewed a pediatrician called Dr. Michelle Forcier from Rhode Island, who admitted that she prescribes the drug Lupron as a puberty blocker to very young people. This same drug Lupron has been used in the past and prescribed to chemically castrate sex offenders. And so her explanation as a pediatrician licensed 
able to give out these drugs to these children who believe that they have some idea of wanting to change. And her claim is that it's completely reversible. Once the puberty blocker is taken, if they change their mind later, they can go off it or not. Well, Matt Walsh, Walsh interviewed many people and ones who have had the results of that drug and they acknowledge it is not reversible. These things are life altering and life damaging to the individuals who take them. So you have to think, well, if they know that, they're not dumb, these medical people, they know the impact of these drugs, but they have so convinced themselves because of their ideology. That's what's driving this and the ideology behind it. We also have to understand and be clear that conversion therapy that has taken place in the early 1940s, 1950s, maybe even earlier, a lot of the things that were practiced then, we would not agree with. Shock therapy, uh, giving people drugs that would change them from if they felt they had attraction to the opposite sex. And a lot of those type of procedures, we would not be happy about today because it is very coercive and it is something that affects someone in a way that, well, we cannot properly stand behind. The Lord Jesus Christ, he said that if you offend one of these little ones, it would be better if you were, had a millstone around your neck and were cast into the sea. The word offend that's used here in the scripture is the Greek word, we get our word scandalize. Very strong word. Scandalizing the children. That's what's happening by the medical professionals of our day. And we, we cannot discount that. And when they will stand before the Lord for what they have done to children, there will be a great day of accounting. In a policy report on conversion therapy in 2019, it was put out by the Association of Reform and Political Action in Canada, it stated this, unlike body affirming counseling, so in other words, that's not what these, this group wants to do. They don't want to take someone who was born a male, born a female, and affirm what their body declares that they are. So unlike body affirming counseling, sex change treatments are physically invasive and worryingly reminiscent of the pharmaceutical and surgical forms of conversion therapy practiced in the mid-1900s. They do irreparable physical and psychological harm. The fact is that biological makeup of humanity comes in two forms. It comes in male and female. And the DNA cannot be altered no matter how many drugs or surgeries are prescribed. This man, Ryan Anderson, a PhD of the Heritage Foundation, he wrote this, sex reassignment doesn't work. It's impossible to reassign someone's sex physically and attempting to do so doesn't produce good outcomes psychosocially. 
Changing sexes is a metaphysical impossibility because it is a biological impossibility. Counseling in that direction, drugs in that direction, surgeries in that direction does not change DNA. And a person who is born according to the biblical standard of what is a man or a woman, that cannot be altered. But that doesn't matter to those who have a different ideology. And what is the base of the problem? The base of the problem is this. There is a refusal to acknowledge the sin problem in the human heart. And society, we should not be surprised, is not going to readily accept that. But you and I have to understand what is the basis of the rationale or the reasoning behind it. And if you have your footing based on the foundation of Scripture, we know the Bible teaches total depravity of the human heart. When man fell in the garden, he did not fall 90% of the way into sin or 98, or 99. It was such a total fall into depravity that there is no longer any light in the heart of a fallen man. He is completely depraved and, cor and corrupt. In fact, Paul argues in Ephesians chapter 2, you who were dead in trespasses and in sins. That deadness and darkness pervades every area of the human psyche. We have to understand that the reason for this and the outcome of it is means that there are none righteous and it means that the entire person is affected by the total depravity that has come upon human nature. But here's the thing that we cannot forget because you will hear people trying to introduce today that the reason why someone has a propensity to be something other than their birth gender is because there is some genetic abnormality or some genetic distinction. They don't want to call it an abnormality. There's some distinction, but that gene has not been found yet. It's been something that they imagine is there. But the issue is not genetic. The issue at the very heart of it is a moral question. And because the rejection of the total depravity of man and the ignoring of any sin question they will never come down to the real reason as to why there is this desire or issue at all. The conversion therapy definition has two major problems. The first one is that it is a rejection of the clear biblical teaching that there are only two genders that God has instituted of male and female and that the homosexual lifestyle is sinful and it will bring the judgment of God as will all other sins. And the second thing that's missing is this, that any counseling or advice given to turn from such lifestyles is deemed a criminal offense. So where did this idea come from? The idea came from the fact that if you're going to do something against the social norm or that which is becoming socially acceptable in the promotion of this sin, then you are on the outside of the majority of society. And that's where this idea comes from of the definition. 
They specifically do not want to entertain any idea that there is a God who has created two genders. Everything becomes fluid. Everything becomes just whatever you want it to be. Why is that? It's because man himself determines that he is going to decide his own destiny. I am my own God, and I don't need to have an idea of any other superior being. I determine what I want to be on and of myself. So the real reason why therapies don't work and the affirmation of any change is because the root problem the root problem of a sinful nature has been rejected or it has been ignored. So we've taken some time to try and understand uh, some of the details of what is conversion therapy, where does it come from, and how we are to understand it. So what does God say about gender and sexuality? The driving force behind this ban on conversion therapy is a total and complete rejection of the wholesome standards of the Word of God. It's another example of a satanic power whereby he opposes everything that is called good and right. So when God states something that is true, satanic influence and power puts forward the opposite end of that. But like a counterfeit piece of currency, it is not always so starkly distinct that it's so easy identifiable as being different. If you had a piece of very good counterfeit money, maybe some of us here would not be able to tell the difference. And you might receive it as currency and you might even give it back as currency. But if someone tried to give you a piece of monopoly money to pay for something, well, easy, you see it right away. So the devil's ploy is so often to make something so legitimate, so reasonable, so acceptable to the heart of the common man that it passes by. And so God has made two genders only. And this created model and created order it does not change no matter how many psychologists, psychiatrists, will try to determine that there are three genders, or four, or five, or how many ever expressions of this that come up today, and there's a new one that is born every day. Someone who is born a certain way by God's purpose, that is unalterable. Cosmetics can't change it. Lifestyle expressions will not change it, even if they are accepted as being distinct and different according to the world. But you know, the ungodly will say, what gives you the right to tell me that I can't do this or determine the way I want to be? And so, outside of the Bible, let's say the, the ordinary person in society the common, good-living, normally accepting male-female type person. They don't go to church. They don't care too much about God. But they're good citizens. Uh, they're nice neighbors. They're ordinary people. And they have now been brought to the point where they dare not open their mouth 
to make any opposition to this because when they would say, well, I just don't see this in nature. I don't see this as part of the normal procreative cycle of humanity. And therefore, the idea of someone declaring themselves to be something different or now I'm homosexual, now I'm lesbian, they don't, they don't like that for themselves and they don't argue that it seems reasonable. But along comes the person who is promoting this lifestyle and they said, well, what right have you got to tell me that uh, you don't think it's right? You think it's against nature? By whose nature? By what law? What makes you think I cannot declare myself as a cat or a goat or a wolf? Yeah, all those things, are, they're already coming. Our school systems today have set up litter boxes in the bathrooms for children who determine and declare that they are cats. This is going on in your country as well. And so this is the type of madness because once you go down that road and open that door, there's no stopping it. Because as soon as some principal or administrator would say, like, come on guys, we're going a bit too far here. Litter box in the bathroom? Oh, you can't say that. And so they must buy into the charade. They must buy into the imagination of it all and the foolhardiness of it. So Matt Walsh asked in that interview to that same Michelle Fourier, well, so would a four-year-old, would they ever believe in Santa Claus? She, oh, yes, yes. So he said, well, that's part of the imagination of a child. And she acknowledged that. But he said, well, but you know that's not true. But her argument only is, well, it's true in the mind of the child. Well, yes, but it's not true. But it's their reality, she argued. But it's not reality. And that's the way the conversation went back and forth. Because these people have to buy into this. And the promotion of it is so that they can enter in somehow to this denial of the creator, denial of the absolute, and acknowledge that you could be anything you want to be. And when you think back to Hollywood and cartoons and Disney, wasn't that often promoted that you could just dream and dream whatever you want? And if you have enough power, if you have enough determination, you can be whatever you want. Well, just imagine now, that is only the introduction of where we are today in the minds of many children. Because this is what the indoctrination they have received uh, for a long period of time. And what is happening is that there is a total rejection of the objective reality of God's holy word. And brethren, you know that whenever we have left this. Whenever a society leaves the objective reality of God's word, then it's only the imagination of men and the intellect of men that is left. And now, when you're dealing with a depraved imagination, a depraved heart, there is no limit to what will be the outcome of this. And we are seeing, we are witnessing in our day the expression of these limits where there are none. Who could have imagined what I said about the litter box in the bathroom 20 years ago, 15 years ago? What administrator in a school would have acknowledged this was a good idea or okay to do this? It's just absolutely ridiculous and foolish. But the administration has come down from the top levels of government 
And these people have now grown up in the administration so that the more radical teachers a few years ago have now become the principals of schools. And now they have bought in, accepted, and are promoting this. I don't even know if they have themselves accepted it or if it's just to keep their job and to promote it. But then the Lord does say, deceiving and being deceived. That will be the telltale sign of of the advancement of iniquity in our in our time and so we have to acknowledge and understand this before the lord whenever the model that god has come up with from the beginning and where he determined when this is jettisoned there will be a colossal breakdown in society because the family unit Marriage and sexuality, when these things are undermined, now you have two fathers in the storybooks, in children's classes, two mothers, three fathers, there's no end to it, and it will be two fathers and a dog now make up the family unit, and people are promoting this. These books, If you begin to investigate what exactly are in the public school system today, it is shocking. And I do believe that as parents are becoming, since COVID, a little more informed as they saw online teaching, what actually their children were being taught by the schools, now it's caused a bit of a resurgence in Christian education, private education, and certainly Christian schools, because of this abhorrence of people who should have known better before, but they were just ignorant to learn what their children were actually being taught in schools because this has been going on for a long time. In the beginning, the Lord, he made man and woman in his image as spiritual creations. And the command to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth has been the model that God has made, and we know that. And yet any turning away from that is going to cause a distortion, a breakdown, an ultimate disaster in our nations. So what is the biblical definition of immorality? So we have read that to a little degree in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're given a list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, of fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. It's a fairly dirty list that you have given there by the apostle. Of the 10 in that list, four of them have to do with immoral behavior. The word here that we are given for effeminate in the authorized translation, it is the Greek word malikos, and it means, it's a compound word, and it means soft men, soft men. And there is another word that is used also in this, where the translators have given this, abusers of themselves with mankind. It is one Greek word, And the Greek word is arsenikoites, another compound word, and it has to do with male and bed, or male and lying, idea in a bed. 
And the context, both historically from the Greek and Jewish understanding of this, was a man who sleeps with another man sexually. And this is not an Old Testament Levitical verse of Scripture. It's the New Testament that is reinforcing the creation model. It's very interesting how some modern translations have actually given this. For example, the New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, says those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. The NIV, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men. The New King James Version says, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites. But there is, now we don't, we don't acknowledge and promote other translations of the scripture generally, but it's interesting to see how that some have taken up and given to us the more literal expression or the modern expression of the Greek language but some of the modern translations are also bending to the political and social temperature of the day. The NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, uh, previously it translated malakoi as male prostitutes and our senakoite as sodomites. But they have now changed sodomites to men who engage in illicit sex which does not indicate the connection of homosexual practice provided by the Greek word. And also, male prostitutes, well, they're ambiguous. That's an ambiguous term because it could refer to those engaged with women or men. And so there is a slight lessening of this. If we were to end the story there, it would be a very sad one and very, um, well, sorry for us. But brethren, there is hope for those who have gone down this very sordid pathway of evil. There's hope for, there was hope for the Corinthian church. And Paul declared, such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by his spirit there is great hope thank God for the hope that we have because if our pathway has not taken us down that particular road of sin all of us look to our history don't we and we can see uh, not a very nice example of where we have been in our sin and yet, what has God done for us? My brother shared that this morning in his meditation. And it was a very humble expressing of where our hearts are and why we must guard our hearts. Because we are prone to be taken down many evil pathways. Even if that particular one of sodomy or lesbianism is not that propensity. Yet, God has saved us from our sin. And we would not want to have our sins trailed across the sky, believe me. So God has had mercy upon us and the Lord is able 
to have mercy upon many as he did in Corinth. Christ made them a new creation and as he has done to us and we can rejoice in that today because of the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved today and we can rejoice in that. It's good news for uh, preaching the gospel. It's good news. I was going to say at the very beginning of the lecture here that you may not know, but I am a registered uh, conversion therapist. And I have been ordained to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that this is the true conversion therapy that we need to promote and be a part of. On the day after the law came into effect in Toronto, whereby it was illegal to preach or promote conversion therapy, by the Lord's grace, I preached on this subject in our own church. And I felt it was necessary to take that stand at that time because many, many voices were silent about that. And I thank God for the light that he has given. And all of us are accountable, you know, to the Lord because unto whomsoever much has been given, much shall be required. And it's important for us. But as I said, it's a mucky subject to get into and nobody likes to deal with it. But there are times in our ministry where we have to deal with it as carefully as possible because especially when you're dealing with a public situation, a congregation, you have to be careful. There are many different ages and years that are open to it and it's not easy. But we're going to have to take our stand for truth and righteousness in our day because to be silent is a very dangerous thing for us to do. So what are the implications for the Church of Christ? The implications are serious because of pastoral care and counseling. Quite frankly and literally, if someone comes to my church today and they will say, I have these desires, what am I supposed to do with these things? An attraction towards someone of the same sex. If I begin to counsel them biblically, and something goes astray in that person's life and they go to the authorities and say, I did this, I am now chargeable under the law of Canada. It's an offense. And I think, well, I know that there are plants that come into your churches, our churches, and they will try just to get you on the hook. We've had Christian schools um, in, in Ontario. We had one specifically in a place called Napanee, not far from Ottawa a few years ago, where two lesbians wanted to put their daughter into their school, Christian school. And what they did, they came and they made a, they didn't come to the school, they just made a phone call and said, we want to, we're two lesbians, we want to have our child in the school. And the principal counseled them and said, well, we have a statement of core family values that you would have to sign and I'm not sure you could sign this for X, Y, and Z and explain the situation. Person said, thank you very much and hung up. Not long after that, from the Human Rights Commission, they were served an appeal, uh, pardon me, a summons, and they had to appear before the courts because they were now charged with this discrimination against this identifiable group. That put the, that Christian school, small school, 
into a great dilemma and much money had to be raised. It cost over $120,000 for legal fees to fight this in court. The reason why the school won that particular battle was because of a distinction of being either a confessional school or a missional school. And they happened to be a confessional school. What that means is that the school required that at least one of the parents that comes to the school had to be a born-again believer, had to be a Christian following the Bible. Other schools are called missional schools, which means that Anybody can come to the school, they don't have to be a professing Christian, but they must at least agree to what the standards of the school are. Our school in Toronto happens to be a confessional school, and so was that one in Napanee. And so they argued in the court that every person that's come to our school has had to sign the statement of core family values, and they are agreeing with the biblical morality of one man, one woman in, in a monogamous relationship. But that had to go uh, to the court, and it had to be fought. Thankfully, they won that particular day. But all it took was one phone call, and those people who made that charge didn't have to pay one penny. It's all covered by the Human Rights Commission. The government covers all their legal costs, and the people who are attacked by this have got to then come and pay the big bill. So this is happening, and it's going to happen again and again. And therefore, whatever documentation we can have in, in our own Christian school to prepare ourselves for that, we, we try to do the best that we can in that area. But you know, no matter what documentation you have, these charges can come no matter what, and you have to defend yourself in court. We pray very much for the Lord's intervention and his help. And so I, I'm saying all that because if someone comes to me and wants biblical conversion therapy, I will give that to them. I will tell that person what the Bible teaches because that's what we are called to do. And we must take our stand for truth in our day. And the outcome of that is in the hands of a higher power. It's in the Lord's hands. And we must be faithful. But the implications have to do with pastoral counseling. And... The whole intention behind the pressure of conversion therapy legislation is to silence. I don't even think it's much about silencing the psychiatrists and all that kind of stuff. I believe the devil's behind it all to silence the biblical voice of truth. The churches and the pastors, the outreach, the evangelist workers, those who are now very, very concerned if I'm in the Christian counseling business and my money and livelihood is based upon this. How am I going to approach someone who comes to me? Well, people are going to think twice about how they do this. And they're going to get very creative in the words they use. And maybe dancing around the subject. But as pastors and faithful Bible teachers, we can't do that. Well, you have to be wise. You're not going to bring on and just target yourself. But at the same time, we have to be very careful the implications are very difficult because in the legislation, nothing is said about reverse solicitation. And what do I mean by that? We may argue that the legislation that has come in our land is not fairly proportioned to stop reverse solicitation 
by the LGBT community. The educational abuse of targeting children and youth to question their gender by boys pretending to be girls, exposing them to drag queens, reading children's books in libraries and schools, and the impressionable children that are taught to embrace cross-gender activities. In our schools, cross-dressing. Boys are dressing like girls, girls like boys, and the teachers are there promoting this. So this kind of thing is not dealt with in legislation, no surprise to us, because we know what they're all about. But to the average citizen and to the average person, this is a huge problem. Chris DeBoer, from the Reform Perspective, he, he said this, There is one point we need to understand. There is nothing in the law that would prevent a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to homosexual. There is nothing opposed to that. There is nothing in it banning attempts to change a person's gender identity from heterosexual. It raises no objection to treatments, practices, or services intended to change a person's gender expression so that it no longer conforms to their biological sex. He goes on uh, dealing with a quote in more length. Yes, the threat is real to our freedom of expression and right to practice our faith and teach the word of God purely and without distortion. The gospel freedom to our nation, that our nations have enjoyed and the blessing of God, it is in the balance. So, what are we to do? Sometimes, Ben, we just feel our hands are tied. We feel that we are so limited. Well, the fact is, you have to be informed about the issues. We cannot stick our head in the, in the sand and think it's going to go away. It might be nice to say, oh my, I don't want to touch that garbage. But we have to be informed to some degree. You've got to be aware of what is going on. And in the midst of it all, we've got to be careful we don't become hard in our response to this and be angry about it. We do have to be very careful with compassion upon people who are in the middle of these throes of the sinful upbringing and, and uh, problems that they have. And of course, we have to be willing to take our stand for and upon the truth of God's holy word. We don't have anything else. We don't depend on psychology. We don't depend on the getting information from our own intellect. Uh, we don't depend on those things. We depend on the scriptures, sola scriptura. We must stand on the Lord's word alone. And when we do that, will we expect to have the affirmation from the world? Of course not. It never has been that way. We better not think it's going to change now. No, we must keep on pressing in the right direction. And to pray for the Lord's intervention. To do what? Well, we need to pray that the Lord will revive and awaken believers. You know what one of the most distressing things is that I have found a few times, even in dealing in my own church, that some comments that some people will make out of the blue, which helps you to see they have been impressed, influenced by what's going on in the world. I had a lady say to me, well, this the whole... Uh, the, the gender transphoria thing, it's a real problem among people, you know, and we have to, and the be, when people begin to talk down that line, 
it becomes evident that there is going in a, in a slightly different direction. And of course, among the evangelical world today, so-called, um, you have the revoice movement. You have other people who become prominent in their promotion of celibate homosexuality. Ministers, so-called of the gospel, people in churches today, they are promoting the fact that they have these tendencies toward the same sex, but they're celibate. They're, they're not involved in any relationship. So you tell me, why would someone want to promote the fact that this is their direction and they are declaring that the desire for those things is not sinful so long as I don't engage in the practice of them? It's, it's, a, it's a bad direction to go down and it, it again is part of a new evangelical, a part of an ecumenical drive to bring compromise into the church. And we have to be careful about that. We want to see the Lord step in and revive our hearts to raise up Christians in leadership. When's the last time that you prayed that a God-fearing leader would come to your country? I'm praying that. And I'm praying that the Lord will take our prime minister and send him to Washington. Because I think there would be a good place for him. He'd have a good uh, friend there. Maybe he could cut the grass at the White House or something like that. And we would put him to good work. Because what he's doing in Canada now is the most devastating thing. We did have a God-fearing prime minister. Uh, Harper was his name. And uh, he was 10 years the prime minister. And, you know, he did many, many good things. And we thank God for raising up a man like that. And brethren, all of us are commanded in the scripture to pray for them that are in authority over us. And we can't fail to do that. Pray locally in your small governments. Pray statewide. In us, it's provincial. Uh, pray for federal your, across your nation. Because, well, is the hour too late? Some people believe that God's judgment is upon our nations, and I don't deny that, because I see the withdrawing of God's hand from our lands, and I see as soon as God withdraws his hand, there's no vacuum, but the devil comes in quickly to fill that void. And it's part of the gospel pulpits that have, been reject have rejected the truth, have compromised. It's part of all that. But we need to pray that God would awaken believers and raise up leaders that the Lord would have mercy on our land. It's one of the hard things to deal with when we know that the promise of the word of God is that before Christ comes back again, the man of sin will be revealed. The mystery of lawlessness will come. And so how do we as Christians pray that God will preserve the righteous, that he will promote that which is good and hinder the evil, and in the same time we know the prediction is coming of the man of sin? But I think that's where you and I must see where we are in God's timetable and see the responsibility as men called of God to obey the scripture and leave those other details with the Lord that we don't know about, time-wise and all those other details. Lord, you've called me to be a witness here and now, and I must do that with all my heart. I must be faithful in my generation. I want to be men, a man who has understanding of the times in which I'm living and be faithful unto the Lord for that. So he would bless the good and hinder the evil. And that we would see the Lord bring many souls to Christ. Out of sordid lifestyles. 
out of great evil and bring them to the, to the Lord. And again, we're confronted, aren't we, by Romans chapter 1, when God has given over people to their own lifestyles and sins. And again, we must leave that unto him. And we must do our responsibility of being faithful in the, in the cause of Christ the best we can. So 